Cast Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we can talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going to the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this, he sucks. Well, he's out. He's out. He's out. He's out. He's out. Look, look, look at this. Randy is out. And uh, Dean is mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yes. Welcome back. This is John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Ready for hour two of the radio program. Lots of stuff to go over still. Um, do want to remind you guys, anything you hear, anything you want to discuss with me, this program is interactive. Check me out on Twitter, at me, send, a, send me a message, whatever. John underscore Pielli. Uh, we're going to get this part of the program. So, yeah. Nice discussion I had with longtime Major League pitcher Tommy John. And, uh, you know, hopefully you guys. Hey, what's going on? It's John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Tommy John. What's going on, buddy? Well, I, I, it's not as hot here as it is out where you are. But um, I'm out on the practice range trying to uh, figure out uh, how to be. And um, at my age and at my ability, that is uh, pretty much. Um, thing of the past <laughs> <laughs> now is golfing something you've done for a long time is it a, is it a situation where you're just trying to refine your game or you're not picking it up no, for the first time right uh, no no i've been to school and i graduated high school my mom and dad got me um, a set of golf clubs and my dad said if you're going to play pro baseball you got to learn how to play golf better so he, they bought me a set of golf clubs and i played all the time and i have ever since i was able to I was with the Dodgers and Yankees and Angels. I used to take my clubs on road trips with me. And um, Gene Mock used to have a fine, $1,000 if he caught us playing golf. <laughs> and I told him, I looked at him, and I said, Gino, let me tell you right now, you will never catch me. <laughs> and he's why? And I said, two reasons. One, I don't play the highfalutin golf courses that you did. I said, I play, I, I play daily fee courses. You wouldn't be caught dead there. Secondly, I'm up in the morning early, and you're not yet, so I'll be back in the hotel by the time you're up. <laughs> he was, needless to say, he was hot. Yeah, so, so before- he never did catch me, though. He never did catch me. Never did catch me. I would go in. I heard uh, from the guys I was playing with, which were the radio men, Bob Starr, the late Bob and we were in Baltimore. And they said, Tommy, Gene knows that we play golf. He's after you. I said, really? Okay. 
so I walked into the clubhouse. I had a golf glove hanging out of my hip pocket. I had a tee back of my ear, and I put a golf ball up on my lock. Bounced on the on the hard floor, and I picked it up and I put it back in and walked over. And they're they're playing bridge, and he's just glaring at me. But he never caught me, and so you know. But I had fun. And with the Yankees, Billy Martin used to have a rule: uh, no golf on the road. So I said a box that you ship golf clubs in and I put them in there, I packed them and uh, I put on their fishing poles do not break and fishing poles were okay to take, golf clubs weren't so the Yankees the Yankees thought that they were taking my fishing poles all over the place where in fact they were my that's awesome, man. Once again, this is John Pielli, here with former Major League pitcher Tommy John. Now, you know, obviously, I'm sure you get asked this, you know, a billion times. There probably isn't a person that you talk to that doesn't ask you about the surgery, the operation, you know, the, the way it took place in 1975. It actually uh, saved your career. Um, take us back to around that time, 1975. You end up with the, the ailments in your arm, and you end up having the operation. Yeah, I had the operation. Uh, I hurt my elbow in, uh, on July 17th of 74, and I operated on September 25th of 74. And um, I was allowed to throw my first pitch um, uh, in January of 75, I was, and I just started throwing, and I threw, I threw every day. I, I threw the ball for six days and uh, people said well what was your throwing program there wasn't it was i just threw till my arm got tired and uh the more i threw the better my arm felt the, the longer i threw now, i didn't pitch i just threw a ball and i just played catch until i got tired and uh you know they take 10 pitches and then rest and take 10 more and rest and take 10 more and rest okay you're done for the day and all Dr. Job told me is, listen to your body. Your body will tell you what it needs. If, if it feels good, throw more. If it doesn't feel good, don't throw very much. You know, and your body will tell you. And I had the utmost trust in uh, Frank Job because, one, he was a friend first and a surgeon second. And I knew that he wouldn't BS me or lie to me or whatever. I knew that whatever he would say would be in the best interest of Tommy John. So, uh, you know, that's... I approached it like that. Now, when, when you, were, you were talking to Dr. Job, was this a procedure that he had performed before you? No. No? So Never it, done it before. It had been done. He said, I, uh, you've torn the ligament in your elbow. And, you know, now, we had no MRIs back then. And I yeah. said, how, do, how can you? There's so much movement in your elbow. You know, it, it would take somebody that doesn't know the anatomy of the body to uh, know what's going on or what's not going on. And um, I, you know, okay. Now the procedure had been done in the hand and wrist. They had been transplanted it into the hand and wrist area. So the process was sound. They ju they had just never done it in the elbow of a major league pitcher. Now I find I find that amazing, man. And uh, you know, obviously you're revolutionary in this process, just going through and having the operation. It's has become so much, uh, you know, so much part of Major League Baseball now. And, um, you know, what, what are your feelings about, you know, the amount, the, the amount of times that this surgery is used now? Do you think that it's always done in the best interest of the pitchers now as opposed to when, when you needed it done? Well, yes. Um, although I, I, I've heard parents coming on board and saying that um, 
they want the surgery done on their uh, younger child uh, because he's a pitcher and he's good and he's probably going to need it anyway so um, uh, he might as well get it done now and, and that is the word see the surgery that this is what the uninformed are the the surgery doesn't make you throw harder it only allows you to throw as hard as God intended you to throw in the first place. Now, the reason you were not throwing as hard is because you had it in your elbow and your body had compensated for it. So you were not going 100%. Nor do I think you should ever throw 100%. Uh, I think uh, 90, 85, 90 is plenty. Uh, and, you, you know, you're talking about the difference between... Uh, 95 and 93 you're talking about 10 percent and um you know it, it's um uh you know you're talking i mean it's just it's very 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 small very small and so um uh you know you're talking less uh at throwing 10 10 percent uh less and it's just uh you know but guys think now because they want to get good readings on the radar gun that they got to go throw balls out stain their shorts effort and uh that's going to make them a better pitcher when throwing strikes changing speeds pitching in and out pitching back to front will make you a better pitcher not very true, man. Once again, it's John Pielli. I'm here with Tommy John. Now, you know, in, you know, in regards to that, when you're talking about the, the the loss or maybe the gain of velocity of possibly having, you know, this operation, assuming that it has to be done, right? When you know, once the doctor decides that this is the way to go with it, um, that's the only way it's possible that you know a pitcher would be able to throw with their full capabilities. Right. right. Yeah, and, and 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 you hear like you know like you had you had mentioned before. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people like uh, they should just go ahead with the operation. But at that point, nothing has been shown that they that their arm has you know you know that their elbows deteriorated at that point. Well, that's the thing. It's and if doctors, if any doctor does it, and the patient doesn't need it, they should lose their one if not sooner. Absolutely. Now, I agree with that 100%. Now, you know, kind of kind of on to uh, before I get into your playing career a little bit, I'll, I'll give you a chance to plug, uh, you know, TommyJohn25.com. Uh, tell the listeners a l- little bit about that and, you know, uh, you know, how to, uh, you know, how to uh, access it if they're. Well, we have a Tommy John Pitching Academy and. Um, our motto is, uh, our saying is, we can't teach you how to throw 100 miles an hour, but we'll teach you how to get batters out. And um, we do a lot of uh, fundraisers and things with this, and these monies for my foundation, the Let's Do It Foundation, and that um, the money that we raise is used for uh, suicide prevention and ALS. Uh, I lost a teammate, Catfish Hunter, uh, through ALS, and I lost a son, Taylor, at through suicide. So both those are very, very dear to my heart. Uh, wow. Now, listen, obviously, you know, you know, all the best to it, and hopefully you're able to, you know, raise as much money to help it out as possible. Definitely both going to great, great causes there. Now, uh, you know, Tommy, of course, you came came in in a big league with the Indians. You end up having a, a tremendous career, 26 years in the big leagues. Um, you, you, know, you end up, you know, pitching for a lot of different teams. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the move between uh, when you were traded from the White Sox to the Dodgers for Dick Allen. Because if you go back, it's a trade that really helped out both teams. It's something that kind of intrigues me. Well, it's funny. Um 
when we won uh, the pennant in 77, we were having a celebration dinner, post-game dinner at Tommy Lasorda's brother's uh, Italian restaurant. And everybody, and Tommy and Walter O'Malley and, you know, the Pope and all that. And uh, this guy with this large head uh, stood up and he said, I'd like to raise my glass to Peter O'Malley and Tommy Lasorda. But I, he said, but I really think you should um, me, he said, because I probably did more to win you the pennant than anybody else. And people looked at and they said, who was this? He said, oh, by the way, I'm Roland Heeman, general manager of the White Sox. <laughs> he said, I traded Tommy Chat to the Dodgers for Dick Allen and everybody. They gave him the face. <laughs> but it was, you know, that's what uh, a trade is supposed to do that. A trade's supposed to help both, both teams. It's not supposed to be one-sided. And, um, uh, you know, uh, Roland got the player that they needed and the Dodgers got the left-handed starting pitcher that they needed. Yeah, no question about it. And I tell you, I get uh, you know, you see a lot of teams out there that you could tell they're almost trying to trade unfairly. You know, they're trying to oh, give yeah. they're trying to give oh, up yeah. players that they don't yeah. want for players that are absolutely going to help them. And I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure it always existed, but but I just I just think there was a point where it was understood that a fair trade is a something that you need, and I'll give you something that you need, and it's it's fair exactly like that. Right. Exactly right, and that's um, I, I think that's the way you you have to look at it. Um, uh, you know, the first trade I was ever in uh, was a three-team trade. Uh, the White Sox traded uh, Jim Landis, Mike Talbot, to the Kansas City A's for a guy named Rocky Calavito. And then they bundled Calavito and a catcher named Camilo Carrion to Cleveland, and Cleveland traded John Romano, Tommy Agee, and Tommy John to the White Sox. And so Kansas City got three good players from the White got Rocky Calavito and Cami Caron, who they wanted, they coveted uh, Calavito in the worst way, and the White Sox got the young players, uh, A.G. and John, that they, they wanted. Yeah, and, and I tell you, that's the way that it's got to work, man. Now, you obviously move, you know, you move on, you know, you're talking a little with the Dodgers, you get a chance to pitch in the World Series in 77 and 78. Uh, bring us back to that time and tell us, you know, a little bit about what you were facing in that Yankee team and, you know, just, you know, just the, the inability to get it done those two seasons against the Yankees. What a report. Uh, the scouts said, you know, this guy's, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he said one thing that stuck in my head, and it still does. He said, you, you, you've got to battle these guys 27 outs because they will not give up. They may be down five and inning, but they will not give up. You've got to get all 27 outs, and you've got to go hard. And that tells me that's the mark of a true championship team that, um, you know, but they had the um, – Pinellas and Roy Whites and Chris Chambliss's and Thurman Munson's Nettish that were the competitors that really battled you right down to the wire. And, uh, you know, those are the guys that you had to have. And uh, that's why the, the Yankees had a good ball club. They just, they wouldn't give up. I remember 78 were game ready to pitch game seven. Uh, and we're down three games to two. And first batter up for the Dodgers in the bottom of the first was Davey Lopes. Catfish Hunters on the mound, and boom. Davey hits the ball out of the ballpark. And I, I remember him coming back and said, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. Let's kill him. Let's, let's go after him. He's got nothing. 
And in the seventh inning, when they pitch hit for Catfish Hunter, he was up like five to one. <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh, that was Catfish. You know, you get him, did all that, but um, uh, it looked like he didn't have anything, but he had everything. And um, uh, those Yankee teams were very, very, very good teams. Very good teams. But the Dodgers were too. We just uh, we just didn't make the big out at the right time. No, absolutely with a former Major League pitcher, Tommy John. Now, uh, obviously, you make the transition. You go from the Dodgers to the Yankees for the 1979 season. And, of mm-hmm. course, 1981 comes. You have the strike, uh, you know, split season. And you end up in the World Series again, this time pitching for the Yankees. Uh, you know, you, you feel you feel like you got robbed in any way there? You know, a lot of the guys, obviously, no, on, the, on the Dodgers team were guys that you were teammates with in 77 and yep. 78. Now you're on the Yankees' side as the Dodgers are up there holding up, you know, the World Series championship. Well, it, um, that was really shut the Dodgers out two to nothing in game two. And then I pitched two and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen in game four. And I pitched game six, and that's when Bob Lemon took me out in the bottom of the fourth. I just gave up the, my first run of the entire World Series in the top of the fourth. 13 innings or almost 14 innings, I gave up one run. And he pinch hits for me in the bottom of the fourth inning. That's probably the worst managerial move in the history of Major League Baseball as far as World Series and championship play. But, um, you know what it was like? It was like going out and in an inter-squad game down at Vero Beach in the spring that usually all the veteran starters are going to pitch against the veteran uh, everyday players. And that's what it was. I was out there pitching, and um, and I looked up, and I see my buddy Davey Lopes leading off. And I get Billy Russell, and I see Ron Sane, I see Dusty Baker, and I see Reggie Smith and Garve and all those guys. And... Um, you know, I, I, like I said, it was like pitching um, in an inner squad game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I pitched well against them in spring training, so why do yeah, no question about it. And I tell you, you end up you end up pitching in, in the, for the 1982 Angels. And I tell you, really looking up and down that roster, that was an extremely talented team. Of course, you know, manager Gene Mock, the whole thing. On. Yeah, yeah. The best team I ever played on. As, as far as every day. We would have had a closer of a Gossage, a Rigetti, an Eckersley, of a you know a top flight closer. Our 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 best closer was a guy named Luis Sanchez. Uh, I think he had six for the season and 100 ball games with a closer. If we had Mariano coming in and do, doing all this, but. Um, our starters were left in ball games because Gene Mock didn't want to go to the bullpen and pull them out because he was afraid of what was going to happen. And that caught up the lead or caught up runs. No, no question about it. I mean, you look at that team, and I mean, you're up and down, dude. It was, you know, from, oh, from the starting like rotation said, you had. It was Bob Boone. Yeah, it was Bob Boone, Rod Carew, Bobby Gritch, uh, Tim Foley, Rick Burleson at shortstop, Doug DeCenzi at third, Brian Downing. Reggie Smith and Don Baylor DH. You tell me that's that's a pretty daggone good lineup. Plus, they knew how to play. They could play what Gene Mark called small ball, or they could play big ball of going for the fence. And uh, I remember in the playoffs, I gave up a three-run homer uh, to Gorman Thomas in the first game, and I'm cursing and stomping and spitting and fuming and all that. And uh, and um, 
I'm sitting there with my head between my legs, you know, be, bemoaning my fate. And I look down, there's a pair of shoes pointed at me. And I look, he says, get your head out of your ass. He said, hit your belt up, you hold him there. And he said, we'll win this game five to three because I'm good for five runs off Mike Caldwell, the lefty pitcher for the Brewers. <laughs> well, Baylor did not hold up his part of the bargain. Got seven RBI, oh, wow. and we we ended up winning nine to three. But uh, you know that's what kind of team it was. You had leaders on the team that would grab you and say, you know, even a veteran pitcher needs to be kicked in the butt every now and then. And I just needed somebody to jerk my chain. Man, no question about it. Once again, it's John Pielli, Tommy John. Now, you know, for your career, you end up winning 288 games. Um, if you look at, you know, I'm sure you've, you, you know, if you haven't looked at it yourself, you had people tell you, you know, you look at all the pitchers that have won more games than you. And only there's only five pitchers out there that are not in the Hall of Fame. You, you know, you have any, uh, you know, issues the with not being in? The only they aren't in the Hall of Fame is they aren't eligible. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly why. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, you, you have any, any regrets as far as not being inducted nope. in your 15 nope. years of eligibility? Nope. Not at all. I did the best I could, and uh, if the veterans choose to vote me in, it'll be the happiest day of my life. If they don't choose to vote me in, I will have played the game the way I knew that you should play it. And uh, I considered myself one of the best pitchers in my when I was good. Now there was at the end of my career, I, I was playing, and I wasn't that good, but I was the best the Yankees could find. And um, I, I think that coupled with the Tommy John surgery, I think those two things um, should merit me uh, uh, the honor. No, I absolutely agree with you, man. Now, now I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to go over the five pitchers that are not in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, it's because a couple of them aren't eligible. Um, and I want, I want you to tell me, do you think that any one of those five do not belong in a Hall of Fame, whether it's Tommy? Johnson, Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens, and of course the old, the older uh, Bobby Matthews of the 1800s. I don't know Bobby. He uh, I, he was supposed to room with me, but uh, they, <laughs> they traded him before I got there. Um, I think all four of those guys are the ones you know. Okay, I think it's fair enough. Now uh, you know. I, I think that the only one with the cloud over his head is Roger, because of of the of the steroids. But it was never really proven. And, um, you know, there was a lot of innuendo and things. But, uh, you know, those guys deserve the, you know, the best while they were out there. Yeah, now that leads me into this question. What is your what is your view, your opinion on the whole steroids thing? Uh, do, do you now you, you agree that you players know, should be it, in the Hall of Fame? Steroids are something that, that they went through and still doing it. Yes. Uh, because there are there are firms out there, there are labs that are coming up with a concoction that'd be the next performance enhancing drug that's not detectable. And uh, but um, you know, back when I was playing, uh, the writers and hypocritical of them uh, voted for a guy as my young award three times or four times, and everybody knew he was on amphetamines. Well, that's as bad as steroids. You know, it's it gives you a boost over the other guys. The guy did him the highest pitching award 
in the league, and they knew that, and and they knew that he was doing it. One one pitcher got a Cy Young award, and be, before every game, he would warm up and he would go in the back of the mound and throw up, and it was because he was so high on speed. Uh, you know, it's it's the guys are trying to find an edge all the time, and it was steroids, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of them have dried deer antler spray or whatever. It's, uh, you know, and everybody's trying to get an edge. Batters corking bats and all this stuff, and an edge, and uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, it's something that we went through and something you're going to have to live with, but I think, uh, I, I think as you, you know, going with Martin McGuire, and, and, and I'll say this for Mark, because he and his family, uh, what he did was not against the rules of baseball. No, absolutely wasn't. And I'll tell you, no, Nate, Nate, that's right. When 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 he was doing the steroids and and the Andrustein Dion and all that, that there was that that was not against the rules of baseball. There wasn't anything. If they're doing it, it's against the rules of baseball. Now, you break a rule of baseball, and you should be ineligible. You know, and it's much like the Pete Rose thing. Um, you know, uh, he, Pete broke a cardinal rule of baseball. But I think I think if we forgave Bill Clinton to Congress and lying before a grand jury and lying before the nation about his affair with Monica Lewinsky, I think we could forgive Pete Rose. Now, you go, let's say, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Is the steroids era looked back as just a time in baseball? Is it by then? Yep. Yeah, I think so, too. It's just something that, it's, you know, it's like the Black Sox. Uh, you know, my God, oh, my God, they, they, and it got over and people, you know, and it's passed over and, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, they made a movie out of it and all that was something that it was something that that happened and something that baseball was ashamed of but you got to move on you know you, you got to move on and and don't dwell upon what happened uh, but uh, it, it is kind of interesting though uh, as somebody that just looks on is just with their name in the front page no absolutely man i'll tell you it's something that you you almost can't help but follow it. And I think I think a lot of us aren't even following it like that cautiously, but it just kind of finds us and, uh, you know, it tweaks our, it, you know, it kind of gets yep. to our interest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Tommy, listen, I want to thank you for having some time today. I definitely appreciate all the insight and everything that we went over. And uh, great stuff there. Tommy John, of course, longtime pitcher, pitched for the Indians, the White Sox, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Angels, the athletics the Yankees again over the course of his long career 288 career wins to me he's a, he's a borderline Hall of Fame candidate and you know you think of him along the same lines as I think of a guy by the name of Jim Kim three games a very good pitcher for a very long time and uh, you know listen Tommy makes the case there right there he says that you know based on his, what he did in his career his longevity and kind of being revolutionary for the surgery I think does warrant some uh, some uh, some uh, possibilities that he could hopefully uh, hopefully it happens sooner rather than later but we're gonna take our first break of this hour lots more stuff to go over passball show MTR radio network back after I'm Karen Siaska Zeltman from Italian Hour. When my car needs service, I take it to Jonathan's Complete Car Care. Jonathan's Complete Car Care is the best for auto repairs, tires, diagnostics, and tune-ups. You can depend on Jonathan's for the best service at prices you can afford. Give Jonathan's Complete Car Care a call. 609-601-6000. 
1-800-926-6460. They work hard to give you the service you need. Jonathan's Complete Car Care works with many vehicles, including Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, Volkswagen, and Audi. Make Jonathan's Complete Car Care the company you keep. 609-601-6460. Call today for a free estimate or visit. Find us on the web at jonathanscompletecarcare.com and like us on Facebook and find us on Twitter. You're listening to MTR Radio, powered by mtrmedia.com. Not sure what you want to eat? An omelet works anytime. How about a golden brown waffle with warm syrup? Augie's Omelet Waffle House and Grill is an Ocean City tradition since 1991. They're open year-round at 9th Street and Atlantic Avenues, just steps off the famous Ocean City Boardwalk. Augie's serves an affordable and expansive breakfast, lunch, seniors, and kids menu all day long. They know how to put a happy smile on everyone's face. Visit our website at augiesocnj.com or give us a call, 609-391-0222. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and come visit us in person at 9th Street and Atlantic Avenue's Just Steps off the famous Ocean City Boardwalk. Also visit Augie's Doggies in Smithville, 609-391-0222 and augiesocnj.com. More than omelets, breakfast, and brunch, it's happiness served on a platter. Welcome back, Passball Show and MTR Radio Network. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the content of the program so far. Lots of different things to go on in Major League Baseball. It looks like really the most prominent name when it comes to starting pitchers that looks like they'll be traded before the All-Star break is not Cliff Lee, but it's Miami's Ricky Nolasco. And Nolasco has gone out there, put up some good on a team that's not very good. I think he's proven himself over the last four, five, six seasons that he could go out there and be a legitimate number three. And you look at a, not a lot of the player, a lot of the teams in the league that really could use a starter. You talk about the teams in the American League East. You talk about, uh, you know, he's in the West. Uh, certainly teams that would be vying for Nolasco services. Of course, Miami's trying to get the most they can for him. But I think they're in a situation where they would benefit from getting the most from him probably now as opposed to closer to July 1st. So uh, just look it out. I mean, I'm this Ken Rosenthal is out there some of the other guys are are uh, saying it's pretty imminent Buster only guys that uh, you know really feel like Nolasco will be moved by the Miami Marlins pretty soon and I wouldn't be surprised if it happened within the next couple weeks or so but um, you know a guy that probably could have and probably doesn't anymore and it looks like his season may very well be in jeopardy and of course I'm talking about Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Corey Hart. Hart is a guy who has hit 30 home runs a couple times in his career he's a legitimate bat that could help in the outfield. You look at what's going on with the Milwaukee Brewers. Team don't 
far this year. I think Doug Melvin is thinking about the future, the general manager of the Brewers. And Hart would certainly have a lot of interest from a lot of teams that are looking to upgrade, get a little bit of help in their lineup with a bat. And it's unfortunate the knee surgery that Hart had in the offseason. It doesn't look like it's reset setbacks and when it was projected that he would be back in June maybe July around the all-star break doesn't look like that's going to happen right now it'd be very unlikely to see Corey Hart back before uh, the trading deadline of July 31st so he doesn't really have much value and obviously will not get any value he is something worth watching I mean if he's able to recover get himself back maybe in August sometime and just show that he can still hit a little bit which he obviously will once he's healthy then I think the Brewers would be interested in moving him uh, but yeah, at the same time you got to see what teams are in the pennant race what teams need are really willing to give up anything for a guy in Corey Hart who's going to be a free agent at the end of the season I do think those are all things that have to be thought about because you know, I you know, I always go back, and I'm I'm going to tell you all the time. I can't wait till I actually have the balls, the gall, the audacity to go out there and write the empty blog that's going to tell you that the Mets made the right trade with Jose Reyes. I mean, you talk all the time. All you hear is, "Oh man, Sandy Alderson should have traded him. He should have gotten something for him." I'll tell you this right now, and this will be the last time I say it. And like I said, I, it takes some balls for me to write this article because I know so many people. Uh, how could you not? How could you not have traded Jose Reyes in 2011? The Mets ended up getting two draft picks because they didn't sign Jose Reyes, and he went to the Marlins. They got a draft pick. They drafted a catcher by the name of Kevin Ploiecki, who was tearing the cover off the ball. He's promoted himself. He's gotten promoted to to be on the rise, probably playing in Binghamton, if if not before the end of this season, but early next season. And he's a guy that could be a catcher of the future. They also got as a complimentary pick, a secondary pick, they got a shortstop by the name of Matt Reynolds, who I had a chance to see in spring training this year. Matt Reynolds, St. Lucie right now. He may be playing in Binghamton before the season's en- ended and is probably right now the most ready shortstop in the Mets, New York Mets organization. Gavin Sacchini is playing in Brooklyn right now. You figure he's probably a little longer away and it's hard to really make that evaluation at this point. If yet. Matt Reynolds. Matt Reynolds is a guy that you could see in the majors in a couple of years. He hits for some power. He looks like he profiles as a shortstop, a guy that could probably stick around and play that position. And I'll tell you this right now, before I put this article together, if you made a trade of Jose Reyes for Kevin Reynolds, that would be a steal. And I'm telling you, it's going to look at and it's going to turn out to be one of Sandy Alderson's best moves as a general manager. But back on to Corey Hart, um, it's, a, it's a shame that, you know, he hasn't been able to recover from his knee surgery. But if you get, go into August and you get into September, uh, the Brewers may be able to spin him for something. But, you know, similarly to Reyes, I don't think any team was giving up top quality prospects for a guy in Reyes who was only going to be a rental. I think uh, the Brewers are going to run into the same thing with Corey Hart. But moving on, a guy that they have that has a lot of trade value is their top starting pitcher, Giovanni Gallardo. He's a guy that signed an extension with them. He's going to be with them for a couple more years. And listen, I mean, that, that, you know, for a team that's looking to add an ace, a number two to their rotation, maybe the Colorado Rockies, maybe the teams like that that are really looking for that stud number one or number two to add to their rotation would absolutely be interested in Giovanni Gallardo. And not only that, Doug Melvin is obviously aware of it. He's going to be out there kind of dangling him over teams to see if he can get a nice package in return. I mean, remember, 
package when he traded Zach Greinke at this point last season to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The Angels may also may also be in, interested in Gallardo, depending on how they get back into the pennant race. So I do think Gallardo, as opposed to Hart, has a lot of trade value when, you know, a guy that's finishing off the end of their agent is not going to have as much trade value as a rental. So watch that out. I think Gallardo is a guy, as we get closer to the trading deadline of July 31st, is a guy that absolutely can be uh, can be uh, had for the right price. I think the team that ends up trading for him, whether it's Baltimore, whether it's Colorado, still in a race, the Pittsburgh Pirates will be an excellent fit. But, you know, these are all teams that obviously would have to dip into their farm system and give up some real good blue chip prospects, which would help the Brewers in the next three, four years. So I, I think that it's something that these teams are thinking about. But the team that wants an ace, maybe Bader as opposed to Cliff Lee. Because, listen, he's not coming at the price of Cliff Lee. And I do think the Phillies and Ruben Amaro are absolutely going to hold that team ransom that wants to trade for Cliff Lee. I mean, he has on his radar guys like Jerkson Profar, Mike Gold, Oscar Tavares, obviously to acquire in a trade like that. That's what he's looking for for Cliff Lee. Giovanni Gallardo could be had for less than that. I think that's something that has to be considered. Once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. I'm going to keep throwing a reminder in there. Continue to tweet at me, at John underscore Pielli. Like I said, I follow the broad of it. Reply to every single tweet that everybody has to send to me. A um, couple different things I got through, too, in my Bases Empty blog. Uh, we we're talking about, uh, you know, the managers in Major League Baseball that were traded for. And, of course, this got brought up by the recent news that uh, the Boston Celtics traded their coach, Doc Rivers, to the Los Angeles Clippers. And it's happened a couple times in Major League Baseball. If you look at, you know, how many times it's been done, there's been some that have been pretty close to it, some that, uh, some that could be considered trades for a manager, and if you look back at my article, Bases Empty Block, the whole thing, uh, you'll realize that sometimes it's helped, sometimes it hasn't helped. But managers are similar to players in the fact that when there's interest from another team, they become chips that can be traded for, as you saw with Doc Rivers going to the Los Angeles Clippers. John Farrell was traded from the, uh, from the Toronto Blue Jays last offseason. Mike Avelis and David Carpenter came over from, uh, from Boston in a trade. Ozzie Guillen was traded from the Chicago White Sox to the Miami Marlins to be their manager for, for a couple players. Lou Pinella, best manager in Adelaide, wanted to be closer to his family in Tampa. So they worked out a deal where the Mariners traded him to the Tampa Bay Rays. And, of course, uh, Randy Wynn ended up going the other way in that deal. But if you go back a little further, some of the more interesting ones, Chuck Tanner, the manager for the Oakland Athletics, was only there one, but coming manager. Of course, the Oakland Athletics of the 1970s were, you know, really through the better part of the beginning of the, of the decade to the middle of the decade, were considered one of the top organizations in all of Major League Baseball. Obviously, their owner, Charlie Finley, uh, rubbed heads the wrong way with a lot of what organization, whether it was players, of course, the fans. Uh, Dick Williams ends up walking out after winning a second of two straight World Series championships. They win the World Series in, uh, in 74 as well under Alvin Dark. He, you know, he doesn't last that long. Um, Chuck Tanner ends up being traded in the sixth season to the Pittsburgh Pirates in exchange for catcher Manny Sanguian. And of course, uh, Tanner ends up, you know, harnessing the talent they have in Pittsburgh, is part of the 1979 team that wins the World Series championship. And of course, Sanguian, who was traded to Oakland, ends up being reacquired by the 1979 World Series championship as well. 
Gil Hodges. If you're a Met fan, you obviously know that Hodges was traded as the manager of the Washington Senators to the New York Mets after the 1967 season for right-hand pitcher Bill Dennehy. And, you know, some people don't even realize that it wasn't the first time this as a manager. Of course, he wasn't a manager in 1963 when he retired as a player and the Mets traded him to the Washington Senators so he could become the manager. Hodges had decided at that point that he didn't want to play anymore. He wanted to retire. The Mets worked out a deal with the Senators that to the Washington Senators in exchange for veteran outfielder Jim Pearsall. And, of course, Hodges ends up managing the Senators until the Mets trade back for him as a manager. And you look at uh, probably the most interesting one out of the whole thing in regards to managers being traded, uh, what happened in uh, 1980, going into 1971. And the two teams, the Cleveland Indians and the Detroit Tigers, both traded their managers. Joe Gordon went to the Tigers in exchange for Jimmy Dykes. This was a situation that it didn't really work out for either one of these two teams. But, and it looked more like a thing. And like I said, neither of those uh, managers ended up sticking around there for a very long time. But if you go back in history, you'll find that, uh, you know, you go back to the times where player managers were a lot more common. And the Philadelphia Athletics traded future Hall of Fame catcher Mickey uh, over to the Detroit Tigers for, for Johnny Pasek. And he became player manager with the Tigers instantly once he was acquired. Same thing happened in the middle of the 1984 season when the Cincinnati Reds traded outfielder Tom Lawless to the Montreal Expos for legendary Pete Rose, who made his return back to Cincinnati, became player manager right away. So if you look back in the history of Major League Baseball, there's a lot of interesting managers that have been traded for, you know, only one case for one another. But, um, you know, managers, listen, I mean, teams are, are, are excited. They're happy get the guy that's going to lead the team in the best way possible. Sometimes it's a guy that's currently under contract with somebody else. And those are those are things that have to be looked at in that way. But moving on here, of course, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. Um, we're going to get into a couple things going on with the Phillies. Obviously, the Phillies have struggled. Um, they've, they've been disappointments once again this season. They haven't lived up to the expectations where I will admit that I said that I thought this is a team that could battle back and be a contender in the National League East. And, of course, there were people that, th- that agree with me as well as some that disagreed with me. Some people make as similarities that I absolutely disagree with. Stop with the comparisons between Cole Hamill's performance this year in 2013 and stop saying it was similar to Cliff Lee's of last year. I mean, they, honestly, there's a couple similarities, but there's more differences between the performances. And, um, you know, you looked at a headline after uh, Cole Hamill's loss to the Mets a couple week or last week, and you'll see that I think one of the Philadelphia papers said that he's snake bitten. I mean, a pitcher that's pitching to a 4.50 ERA through 16 starts is not snake bitten. Hamilton some bad luck sometimes. Let's be honest, the game against the Mets was not an example. For the third time in the season of 2013, Hamels was given a three-run lead. And for the third time, Hamels went out there and gave the lead back. Cliff Lee didn't do that. Yes, Lee was burnt with a couple no decisions. He had a couple of games that weren't so great in that stretch, which uh, was part of the reason why he only had a, he only had three wins through 16 starts. But the bottom line is Lee was more snake bitten last year than Hamels was this year. Hamels has not got 
has pitched a couple games where he deserves to get a win but the truth is you're pitching with 450 ERA you've given up three three run leads at different points of this whole season you get let's 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 put some blame on Cole Hamels does he deserve to be 2 and 11 probably not he doesn't have a significant amount of losses he doesn't deserve to be 11 and 2 let's let's, let's admit that can he admit you know, a, a Cole Hamill supporter, somebody that's supporting his performance of this year, would you understand that he does not deserve to be 11 and 2? A 450 ERA for a top pitcher that a tremendous contract that's going to keep him in Philadelphia for the better part of the rest of his career should be pitching better than a 450 ERA. And, I, and listen, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, it, you know, it's a situation where he has not gotten a job done. But uh, listen, we're going to take our second part. Finish up the program, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Back. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7-24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. M-T-R. You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. And you're listening to MTR Radio. A flippin' out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Always covering the most current topics today. Check us out on mtrradio.com. We will offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over five and a half million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. Welcome back. This is the Pass Ball Show, of course, on the MTR Radio Network. John Pielli keeping you up with everything going on in Major League Baseball, the future, the present, the past. Uh, I obviously touch on a lot of different things. One comparison that I got into in my Bases Empty blog that I, I feel like I got to share was a comparison that I made, really, between Ike Davis and what he's new 
and a first baseman that kind of went through the same thing a couple of years ago. And I'm surprised that this comparison hasn't been made to uh, uh, to to the point. And Adam Lind with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays was actually taken off the 40-man roster. And you're looking at a guy that uh, was was a top power hitter for that team over the course of a couple seasons. Lind in 2009 hit 305, 35 homers, 114 RBIs. Obviously saw his numbers drop to 237, 2372. His strikeouts went up to from 110 to 144 in 2011 when he only played in one less game. His 2011 season was a little better average-wise, 256, 2387, uh, 121 games. But it seemed like he was a shell of what he was in the 2009 season. And Lynn continued to disappoint last season. He ends up being demoted. Obviously, AAA at the time was Las Vegas. Another comparison right there. Toronto's AAA affiliate in 2012 was, of course, Las Vegas. The Mets' AAA affiliate in 2013 is Las Vegas. Another comparison. There you go. But uh, Lind was actually removed from the fourth time. He passed through waivers, was sent out right to the minors, something that had to absolutely be considered a low point in his career. But Lind made the most of it. He hit 404, nine homers, 30 RBIs, and 35 games between AA New Hampshire and AAA Las Vegas. He, he has had a comeback this year, and I'm up the comeback player of the year award as you as you're looking at players 342 average eight homers 25 rbis and 57 games 14 doubles at the time i wrote the article his power is down a little bit but he's still on pace to hit about 25 home runs this year could probably drive you know 80 85 runs look at his ops which I think is very interesting. He's drawing more walks. He's at a, a four four oh eight on base percentage, five forty five slugging percentage. That equals a nine fifty four OPS. His OPS in two thousand nine was nine thirty two. Going to be a more productive player this year than he was then. Now, how does that relate to Davis? Well, listen, they're both first basemen. They both had you know significant struggles. Perhaps Davis's struggles are probably a lot more significant than what Adam Lind's were over the course of his struggle on base. And you look at to see what's going on now. Can Ike Davis re- restore himself like Adam Lind has done? Well, if you look at you know what he, what he did over the course of the last three games um, you know, before this program in Las Vegas, five home runs. It looks like he's taken out a couple. It looks like Wally Backman has lived up to his word to right the ship and get him back to a point where he is he, he's back at, you know to a point where he can be considered as a possibility to return to the major leagues already. Let's go back for a second to 2010. Ike Davis is obviously he waits that little time you know in the minors when he didn't have to be there. The Mets ended up going with guys like Mike Jacobs and Frank Catalanato and whoever else was playing first base at the time. But uh, Davis ends up, you know, hitting 300 that year for the Mets. He, you know, you know, to a point, you know, a year later in 2011, where he's hitting over 300, hit 264, 1971, in uh, in 2010 as a rookie. Obviously, his numbers have dropped. Last year, he got off to just as bad of a start. Um, very similar to what's going on right now and what you see in his major league numbers. Ends up 32 home runs, 90 RBIs. The Mets are hoping that Davis can come back and and finish the second half to have total numbers close to that. And I do think it's a possibility. You know, you ask me what should, what should the Mets do? Should the Mets bring him up right away? My answer is probably no. I'll let him 
stay up there, kind of gain some confidence, maybe be the best player on a team for another week or two and get to a point where he's totally tearing it up, where you could see numbers similar to what the Toronto Blue Jays saw in Adam Lind last year when he was hitting over 400 home runs coming out of the way and his significant. That's what you got to see. And then you get to a point where Ike Davis could come up and be relaxed and just realize that all he has to do is just do what he was doing before and get himself back in a groove and we'll forget about the struggles of Ike Davis over the last couple seasons in the first half. But I, I do think it's been the best decision that could send Ike Davis down to AAA. I think he's a guy that I think the Mets still consider as part of the core of this team. I do think that it's a situation where Ike, listen, when he comes back, he should be at a point where his confidence level should be up and he should go back to hitting home runs like he did in the second half of last season. Now, moving on, another article I wrote the other day. I, you know, I, I do I like I like the drift back in time things because uh, one of my favorite things to go over and one things that you know things that I've discussed several times is the uh, the, the transformation between pitchers to hitters and in some cases hitters to pitchers. You know, I've talked about a little bit about Dave, about Babe Ruth, about uh, Smokey Joe Wood. Of course, Rick Ankiel is probably the most prominent name known as far as being a pitcher that made that transition. Well, you know, in 1954, the St. Louis Cardinals brought up a pitcher by the name and he was a guy, he was 18 at the time. He came up, he had some struggles. He pitched well his first year, but then kind of lost it his second year. Very similar to Rick Ankiel. And, uh, you know, you look at Von McDaniel, I'm sorry, he got 1957, made his major league debut at the age of 18. And he was happening by the time he was 19. That was the last time he played in the major leagues as a pitcher. He made a comeback as a hitter, um, stuck around, you know, up until he was about 27, but never made it to the major leagues. And I just I just have to stress how difficult this transition pitchers and I know a lot of Met fans have gotten on Rick Ankiel saying that oh my god he's horrible get him out of here he stinks but Rick Ankiel has got to be a role model to a lot of players a lot of pitchers that have had struggles because if you look at what the guy has done he has made the comeback has established himself as a dominating everyday player but who can there are no Babe Ruths out there that are just that good at hitting as they are pitching and I think, you know, fans are very quick to get off of it and forget about it and just un- unfortunately just don't look at things the right way. Von McDaniel is a guy that made that transition, was a successful hitter in the minor leagues, but never got himself that he's good enough to make a return in the major leagues. It's such a big difference to go from being a minor league hitter and a first-time hitter after being a pitcher for your entire career becoming not only a regular player but a good enough regular player to warrant playing in the major leagues and Bob McDaniel couldn't do it several others have not been able to do it you look at a guy like Adam Lowen who is currently trying to make that same comeback the former Baltimore pitcher who of course was in the Toronto was in AAA with the Mets last year and is back in AA with the Toronto Blue Jays this year it is not that easy and any any player that makes it back to the major leagues should be applauded and I really do feel that Rick Ankiel deserves a little more respect than he's gotten. He may be done now. On a hell of a job getting back to the major leagues. Listen, I want to thank everybody for being part of the show today. Thanks to Rusty Meacham. Thanks to Tommy John. We'll be back next week with a lot more stuff going on. Passball Show and TR Radio Network. Enjoy the rest of your